Hey, welcome to the Avenging Hour. I'm Jason. I'm John. <laughs> I gotcha. We're uh, we're doing something special. This is like a midweek thing that we're going to throw up. This is our first, uh, what are we going to call it? We're calling it the official index to the Avenging Hour. Because back in the 80s, uh, Marvel, was, Marvel printed out series called the official Marvel Index to whatever series it was. Yeah. And they would basically summarize the plots of a large group of issues with, with panels judiciously thrown in to emphasize what they were talking about. So it would be like the official Marvel Index for the Avengers. And one, the first issue of the index would cover you know 50 issues of the title. You know, I forgot that I actually have those. I should just be doing the, using those to do my write-ups. <laughs> uh, it was a nice way you know, for those people... To, Again, this was before trade paperbacks, so if you wanted to know what happened to these issues and you couldn't get your hands on them, it was a nice way to find, you know, to to get a feel for a large swath of issues. So this is the thing we're going to throw up every once in a while to cover twenty five issues at a, at a time. And basically, we did it because we we realized that we have a hundred and six episodes now, and some people might have jumped on recently, and some people might have been listening to the beginning, some people might have listened to the beginning and heard how bad we sounded and gave up. Yeah. Now that we have new equipment, we don't necessarily expect everyone to go back and listen to all previous episodes so we thought if we threw these onto the feed every once in a while uh, it would be a way for people to get a, a feel for some of the earlier issues without having to listen to those horrible audio so i've basically done a write-up here of the first 25 issues it's about five times longer than one of my regular write-ups but uh it's going to cover the plots and we'll talk about the characters introduced and things like that. i'm not sure exactly how we're going to format at the end if we're gonna i did kind of a roll call and uh like an mvp of the first 25 issues oh, i that, didn't so we'll see maybe we'll play around with some other little things at the end here but all right take it away all right let's go this uh this covers issues one through 25 of the avengers in the beginning there was much fighting mostly among themselves ostensibly our avengers were brought together to push back against the evil of loki thor's half-brother but let's be honest the group was formed by stan lee and jack kirby as marvel's version of the justice league with superman played by thor Iron Man standing in for Batman, Wonder Woman replaced with a tiny flying girl who's frightened of birds, another tiny flying person who can speak to ants filling in for, I don't know, maybe Flash? And then Hulk, who doesn't really fit the metaphor or the team, but let's just pretend he's Martian Manhunter because they're both green. The debut issue is filled with the sort of unexplainable wackiness sorely missed in most modern comics. Floating heads create illusions. Annoying teenagers use ham radios. The Hulk disguises himself as a circus clown. Thor has to fight through a series of tests. And the team concocts a Scooby-Doo-style trap to finally foil Loki's plans. By the time issue 2 rolls around, Ant-Man has already changed his name to Giant-Man. The Avengers run afoul of the Space Phantom, an alien who can switch places with someone else's body. And we see our first instance of their horrible security system as our villain walks right in the front door. Later, disguised as the Hulk, Space Phantom causes our heroes to fight amongst themselves some more. When Hulk gets his body back, he decides he's had enough and quits the team. For some reason, our heroes become spiteful and decide they need to track Hulk down for his own good. Iron Man's image projector allows them to communicate with the Fantastic Four, the X-Men, and Spider-Man, planting the Avengers firmly in the Marvel Universe. However, in what becomes a running theme, Rick Jones ends up doing their work for them, tracking Hulk to the Southwest, subduing him and turning him back into Bruce Banner. When the Avengers arrive, Hulk reverts back to his brutish form and escapes, eventually hooking up with a scheming Submariner. After an impressive fight, Namor flees and eventually finds his way to an Eskimo tribe in the North Sea who worships a man frozen in ice. Namor, being an angry jerk, tosses their god into the sea, where he's rescued by the Avengers and is revealed to be Captain America. After a quick origin recap featuring Baron Zemo and Bucky, Cap becomes enamored with Rick Jones, and the two team up to find out how the rest of the Avengers were turned to stone. This leads to a fight with a broccoli man alien in cahoots with Namor, and we are loving this comic book. With Captain America now entrenched as a member and retroactively named a team founder, he decides to give Rick some private acrobatic lessons. 
The Avengers then scoot back out to the southwest to investigate a rock. The thrills never seem to end. We learn the rock is some sort of explosive device being shoved to the surface by some subterranean lava men who look like tiki totems sculpted by a group of dyslexic six-year-olds. We also learn that Thor can swim in lava, which just looks weird. Finally, in issue number six, we get some real villains. The original Masters of Evil, including an evil Black Knight, and a real villainous plan to coat New York City in glue. A plan that is foiled only with the help of another criminal named Pace Pot Pete, and by throwing Rick Jones and his team brigade into harm's way, a theme that continues for at least another half dozen issues. While his team of baddies is captured, Baron Zemo himself manages to at least temporarily escape. In our first bit of official business, Iron Man gets suspended for not helping out. Cap spars with some wrestlers wearing socks and loafers. He flips out on Rick Jones for trying on Bucky's costume. I'm assuming he's mad because he didn't have time to set up the cameras first. While Enchantress and the Executioner join up with the now-depleted Masters of Evil, Captain America goes all Tom Cruise and hitches a ride to South America on the outside of a plane. There's some fighting and some minor mind control, but then Thor conveniently space warps the bad guys away. Our next big threat comes in the form of that crazy time traveler Kang, who parks his ship in the Virginia woods and taunts the team on a floating pillow. Wasp sends the Teen Brigade in to deal with the menace while she returns to the mansion to rifle through the lost and found. When the team zaps Kang's belt doohickey, he shakes a fist at them and goes home. The Masters of Evil then find their way back from the space warp, kidnap a rival of Tony Stark, and zap him with a machine that turns him into Wonder Man. This new hero gains the trust of the Avengers and is offered membership, but quickly turns on them because Baron Zemo is poisoning him and is the only one who can offer the antidote. But Wonder Man then does a double switch and turns on the bad guys. And then he dies. Probably. In issue 10, Immortus shows up and decides he wants to join the Masters of Evil. As an initiation, he agrees to destroy the Avengers by placing an ad in the newspaper and tricking Rick Jones into answering it. When the team shows up to save him, they have to face a bunch of stupid characters plucked from timelines that aren't even real. Like Paul Bunyan, Merlin, and an idiotic version of Hercules. Thor yells Avengers assemble for the first time, but no one is listening. Kang then launches a new plan involving a robot Spider-Man and a Mexican pyramid, but that's foiled when the real Spider-Man shows up, apparently having traveled there by swinging on webs attached to airplanes or clouds or something. Issue 12 is a stupid mess featuring Mole Man and an inexplicable red ghost and his apes. The team makes fun of Hank for talking to ants, unknowingly sparking the inferiority complex that will cause him to freak out over the next 200 issues. Iron Man brings back his image inducer, and you can tell the issue makes no sense because they put Wasp in charge. Then we get to the good stuff. Count Nefaria and his wicked plan to reconstruct a castle in New Jersey. He has an evil pipe organ, and evil lights in his guest rooms, and an evil cage in the basement that will kill any teenagers who touch it. Plus, Wasp gets shot for the first time, which leads to Thor hopscotching across the tops of airplanes to kidnap some Scandinavian doctor who's the only person who can save Wasp. Of course, when the doctor turns out to be an alien, Hank just murders him in a fit of rage. Thor tries to yell at the alien not to die, but it doesn't work and everyone shrugs. The team stumbles upon the alien base at the North Pole and manages to free the real doctor so he can save Wasp. Sensing a moment of weakness, or just having nothing better to do, Zemo and his Masters of Evil strike once more. Rick Jones is kidnapped again, which sends Cap over the edge, and he kills Baron Zemo. I'm sure we'll never see the Masters of Evil ever again. Evidently, there's been far too much murdering going on lately because most of the team then decides to quit, ushering in the era of Cap's kooky quartet, featuring former criminals Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver. Jeez, this team has really taken a gut punch. Being the only experienced member, Cap is named permanent chairman, and we get our first look at a prototypical Jarvis the Butler. The new lineup immediately decides they need more power and go off in search of Hulk, I've seen this show before. It doesn't turn out well. Our heroes instead find the Mole Man and his giant Minotaur. Hawkeye and Quicksilver start the bickering that will dominate this series for a while. In a stunning turn, the team then runs into their greatest villain ever, 
the communist diaper-wearing robot called the Commissar. Scarlet Witch is kidnapped, beginning a trend, and she demonstrates the extent of her mutant abilities, controlling drapery. Back at the mansion, the swordsman breaks in and wants to join the team. Cap discovers he's a wanted criminal, and the baddie escapes. We learn that Swordsman is Hawkeye's former mentor. We also learn that Captain America is trying to get a S.H.I.E.L.D. job, clearly realizing that this new team is filled with losers. He sets up a job interview in an abandoned warehouse where, surprise, the Swordsman meets him instead. Swordsman holds Cap hostage, but sensing that this stupid team can't save him and his career prospects are looking grim, Cap decides to fling himself off a building. Shockingly, this was all a clever ruse, and the team manages to stop arguing long enough to work together and save Cap. Before he can be captured, however, Swordsman vanishes. He finds himself in the home of the Mandarin, who gives him a powerful new sword. Mandarin then uses his version of an image projector to convince the team that Swordsman is really a good guy. They offer him a membership, and he immediately starts planting bombs in the mansion. After a bit of a skirmish, Swordsman escapes. Next up, Enchantress returns. Seeing how well that whole Wonder Man thing works, she decides to create another supervillain called Power Man, because she clearly has never heard of a thesaurus. Even Power Man thinks Power Man is a dumb name, and the battle that ensues is even more dumb, causing the New York City Council to shut down the Avengers. Looking for other work, the new members inadvertently join the Circus of Crime. Wanda once more demonstrates her prowess with curtains. Two kids argue over the team's innocence, with one proclaiming that the other's uncle eats pickles. Captain America is so embarrassed that he quits the team to become a punching bag for a professional boxer. With the team depleted, Kang strikes. He adds another floor to the mansion that no one seems to notice and traps the team so he can transport them to the future. I'm not sure why he wants the team there, though. He's trying to impress this planet's Princess Ravona by attacking her city and the team only ends up helping her. Captain America can't stay away long and uses some machine called the Recreator to transport himself to the future. Once everyone is reunited, they fight amongst themselves before finally joining up with Kang to quell a rebellion from his own troops. Things don't go well and Kang's love interest Ravana is possibly murdered. He swears revenge and then politely returns the team to their own timeline. Finally, issue 25 takes us to Latveria, where Doctor Doom reigns supreme. He kidnaps the Maximoff twins, encloses his entire kingdom in a plastic dome, and attempts to defeat the team in order to impress the Fantastic Four. This does not happen, and he runs away, helping the team maintain their perfect record of never defeating anyone. A couple of things. Let's 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 first of all look at the creators of these twenty five issues because it's really simple. These twenty five issues really only have one writer, and that writer is Stanley. You can tell. Yeah, it's it's very prototypical writing for Marvel at this period in time. Uh, lots and lots of words, and it's not in dialogue that sounds anything like normal humans would use <laughs> ever. We have two artists on the title: Jack Kirby, uh, Stanley's frequent collaborator, especially when starting a new series at Marvel. Does the first eight issues? Jack Kirby's art is strong and powerful and i didn't miss it till it was gone it doesn't always make sense and it feeds into the into the silver age lunacy of these issues a little bit but it's 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 dynamic he's replaced by don heck who draws a much better looking group of people they're thinner they're much thinner (laughs) they're less boxy yeah they're all a lot more elegant all of a sudden they wear nicer clothes but they uh and and in these first 25 issues aren't bad eventually as you get farther and farther along through these through these issues it starts to fall apart yeah it starts to get a little bit rough (laughs) but at first you can tell he's put a lot of work into it but those are the only really creators we have i did a roll call you want to hear my roll call yeah go ahead and then you have to explain who all these characters are yeah our team starts with ant-man wasp thor iron man and hulk it ends with a completely different lineup of Captain America, Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, and Hawkeye. In between, we get one-issue memberships for Wonder Man and Swordsman. In the first issue, of course, the, f- the five founding members are Dr. Henry Pym as Ant-Man. So Dr. Henry Pym is Dr. Henry Pym. He is a scientist who manages to develop a potion, which or a gas, actually, that enables him to shrink. They say the size of an ant. 
I don't know. Sometimes he seems a little bit bigger than that. He rides on ants, so that's basically that. And he can talk. He develops a helmet, which enables him to talk to ants. So he's a man the size of ants who can control ants. Fascinating. Yeah, that's Ant Man. He stays as Ant Man for one issue of this comic. One. And he had been Ant Man for in his own. He had his own at least, series at least a year, right? Yeah, he had his own series in Tales to Astonish. But as far as this book goes, he's Ant Man for one whole year, and then be- or one whole year, one whole issue, and then becomes Giant Man. And as Giant Man, he uses this gas to make himself grow bigger. And when he gets bigger, he gets stronger. He remains through issue sixteen, as you say, and then takes a power with everybody else. Of course, Henry Pym is going to be a staple of this book for years and years and years to come. And in these issues, we have to remember that he is the things he does in these issues that we make fun of at the time. He was just your prototypical Silver Age hero doing what they did. He was an early 60s man. Yeah. Obviously, we look back at it now and we ascribe a lot of motivations to it that I don't think were there in the first place. But it is kind of funny, especially the issue where he kills the doctor uh, and is wailing in the hallways (laughs) when the wasp is shot. Doesn't he actually rip his face off? Yeah. He rips (laughs) off a mask and yeah. And of course, going from Ant-Man to Giant-Man within the space of an issue will also set up the fact that this is a man who cannot maintain a heroic identity for any length of time. He is, uh, of course, with the Wasp, who is Janet Van Dyne. Janet Van Dyne is uh, an heiress whose father is killed, and she turns to Henry Pym for help. He uses his scientific knowledge to give her the ability to shrink to the size of a wasp. When she shrinks, she grows wings, which she can use to fly. And I don't know if she had it in the first issues here, but eventually, in these 25 issues, she gets little uh, stingers on her wrists that she uses to fire compressed air blasts, I think they are at the beginning. Of course, Janet Van Dyne is also a mainstay of this team, probably even more than Hank Pym is. She will be with the team for a long time. She'll eventually marry Hank, then she'll divorce Hank, and she will eventually lead the team. So she's going to be around for a long time. Uh, Number three is Tony Stark, who is, of course, the invincible Iron Man. An inventor who creates a weapon, who creates many weapons, goes to Vietnam to see how his weapons are being used by the army and steps on a... is near where a landmine goes off, gets shrapnel in his heart, and is forced to build a suit of metal armor, which he wears to keep himself uh, alive, keep shrapnel from piercing his heart. And of course, that becomes the Iron Man armor. Throughout these issues, he has to periodically recharge it, which leads to a lot of scenes of him leaning against a wall, smoking a cigarette with his armor plugged into a wall socket. He is the team's... uh, at this point in time, the team's inventor, eventually the team's scientist, much to my eternal frustration. He's also the team's benefactor. Yes, and he's their benefactor. And of course, as Iron Man, he's also a pretty powerful member of the team as well. In the first issue, his armor is the old, big, clunky gold suit, which just gold. Uh, but by issue two, he gets a new look where he starts getting in some of the red highlights and it becomes a little less bulky. And of course, he'll be with the team forever. Thor is... Uh, Avenger number four, Thor, the son of Odin at this point in time, is been grafted onto the mortal form of Dr. Don Blake, world's greatest surgeon. He will be, of course, Thor has superhuman strength, and he's got his hammer Mjolnir, which enables him to control the weather and create space rifts and pretty much do whatever the book needs it to do at the time. He will again be with the team. Of all, of, of, the, of these original founders, he's probably on the team the least of all of them, but he'll be around more often than not. And then we have the Hulk. People tend to forget that the Hulk was in this book for the first two issues. It's funny that you think that Thor would be around the least. <laughs> well, good point. Dr. Bruce Banner, of course, creates a gamma bomb, and when it explodes, he gets irradiated. And when this issue comes out, um, apparently it turns into the Hulk whenever he darn well feels like it. The Hulk has much more intelligence in these issues than what we normally think of him having. He's not 
me Hulk. He talks in complete sentences. Uh, he's not particularly friendly, but he's not stupid. Just kind of wants to be left alone. Yeah. And again, as we say, he drops out after two issues and really does not show up in the book very much at all. Every once in a great while, he'll pop back up, but he's not around very often. Uh, those are the five original Avengers we have. And then in issue number four, Captain America joins. Of course, Captain America created during World War II by uh, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby was Steve Rogers, a normal boy who was frail and was given the super soldier serum to make him not frail. He was frozen in ice at the end of World War II, gets thawed out by the Avengers and joins the team. He is, of all these, the biggest mainstay of the team. He's going to be around more than anybody wants him to be around. And eventually they will they will, they will will make him a founding member, even though he's not. A retroactive founding he's, member. Yeah, poor Hulk. Uh, as you mentioned in issue number eight, we see Wonder Man. You talked about him as much as we need to talk about him. He's going to be, he dies in this issue. We won't see him again for decades. And then all of a sudden he's back. So Hawkeye, at this point in time, we don't know his name. It's Clint Barton, but he's we won't find that out for like three or four or five, six years. Uh, he is an archer. He was a carnival uh, a carnival kid who learned how to use a bow and arrow really well, became an archer, got mixed up with a Russian spy, and ended up fighting Iron Man. But here he comes back to redeem himself. Again, a mainstay of the team. Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are Wanda and Pietro, two mutant twins. She has the power to cast hexes, which make improbable things happen, and he has super speed. They had ended up, had started out in the X-Men as members of Magneto's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, but come, came into this book again to redeem themselves. Scarlet Witch will stick around a lot. Quicksilver, not so much. We'll see him through the late 70s, but then he, I mean, he'll come back to the book every once in a while, but I would not, and, I, and I'll call him a mainstay of the team. Uh, and then we have the swordsman who comes in as a villain, uh, mentor to the young Hawkeye before they were super characters. And he'll be back, too. And he'll be back as well. Uh, we have a lot of ancillary characters, too. I don't really think we need to talk about all that. No, I think the important thing to talk about from the early issues is Rick Jones and the Team Brigade because they stand out as being so weird to us now. Yeah, but they were basically the other Avengers. Yeah. I mean, Rick Jones, of course, is from the Hulk's book, a, a young boy who Bruce Banner saved his life. Uh, and and is, that's why he got irrated by the Gamma Bomb. Rick Jones will will be common. We start seeing it now. He, to this point in time, he's been the Hulk sidekick. Once Captain America comes along, he quickly changes allegiance to Captain America. Yeah. Uh, and he will basically be doing this in the Marvel Universe for a lot of years, jumping from hero to hero in book to book as sidekick to the stars. And the Team Brigade are just his friends that happen to use ham radios. Now, people are like, what the hell's a ham radio? <laughs> it's really weird. Uh, but the Avengers use them. And I mean, when I say use them, I mean, they use them. Yeah, they send them out into combat and everything. <laughs> hey, cannon fodder, get over here. <laughs> uh, we see the Fantastic Four for the first time in the book. Well, I mean, I think most people know who the Fantastic Four are. We see the X-Men. Uh, we see uh, Loki as a villain. It's weird as he is the... I keep We use weird a lot in this podcast. I, I Loki is the reason that the Team forms and yet is really not going to be a presence as a villain in this book no. he is a thor villain not an avengers villain i put our villains down here in order oh okay we have loki space phantom namor baron zemo a broccoli man the lava man the masters of evil black knight melter and radioactive man later enchantress and the executioner kang immortus mole man red ghost count nefaria and the magia hydra mandarin power man the Circus of Crime, consisting of Ringmaster, Princess Python, the Flying Gambanos, the Clown, and the Human Cannonball, and Doctor Doom. The fun thing about these early issues, I said that when Don Heck came on, they wore better clothes. But especially in issue two, the plaid suits and the snappy hats that these guys had on were amazing. Uh, we should probably talk about Namor a little bit, the Submariner. 
He's also a character back from World War II who is a hybrid Atlantean slash human who has superhuman strength, limited vulnerability, and can breathe water. He starts out as a villain in these issues and will be a villain for the Avengers on and on again over the years. But he really eventually will join the team, eventually becomes becomes a member. There's not really a lot of other supporting characters for them. And we see so we see someone resembling Jarvis, not really named Jarvis yet. Spider-Man's there. We should we we, we probably should mention the Masters of Evil. You mentioned the Masters of Evil, but I think Baron Zemo is important enough to mention because he comes into this book in, in issue number four, really full force of number five, number four in shadow. And he is, for the, for a year, he is without a doubt the main villain of this book. Within one, I mean, he, he puts in 12 appearances in this title in this basically an entire year and then is killed, gone. <laughs> it's so weird because he drives the action of this book for so long and then he is just done, disappears without a trace. He was created to explain Captain America showing yes. up now. Yes, he was created and, and, and retroactively inserted into World War. Unlike Captain America and Submariner, who actually were around in comic books in the 40s, Baron Zemo was not. Now, I'm assuming that Captain America in the 40s, they just stopped publishing his book. He just disappeared. Yes, yes. It's not like he was killed or captured or no, anything in the comics. He just... He, his book, what you know, and, and we're told here that he's thrown into ice in 1944 or early 1945. I think it's 44. In the His book was published, I think, until 1949. Uh, and the Masters of Evil, you know, it's, it's also... We we see the Black Knight here for the first time, the villainous Black Knight, who doesn't show up very much because he ends up dying uh, pretty quickly. And we see the Melter, who doesn't show up much because he's useless. And then the Radioactive Man, who will be back every once in a while. And of course, the Enchantress and the Executioner, who, again, for a while, we just can't get rid of. They, they're Baron Zemo's right-hand people for a while that you just can't. Uh, let's see. Is there anyone else important? I'm looking at that villain list. and Yeah, there's not, there's not really a lot of villains that we would say, except for the Masters of Evil as a team. Right. There's not really a lot of villains that and, will shape them and kang oh that's right it, it's funny that masters of evil changed their entire lineup uh after their first appearance except for their leader something the avengers will do in just a few issues after maybe baron zemo called cap on it and that's why cap murdered him <laughs> i love in the in the in the one issue in issue number uh seven when uh the enchantress turns thor against the team i don't know if you remember this but the executioner dresses up in a costume as a big bald man with weird facial hair the executioner is a big bald man with weird facial hair and it's such an odd it's such an odd disguise because Maybe he just figured no one in New York knew what he looked like anyway. How true. He should have put dumber hair on. And Captain America also manages to make it all the way, flies all the way on the outside of a jet from Brazil to uh, New York City. Good stuff, good stuff. Yeah, Kang's important. We'll see Kang a lot more. We don't really get to know Kang in these issues, though we do begin to get our first glimmers of Kang in issues 23 and 24, where Kang, we see the Kang. Yeah, he says he has honor, and he apparently actually has love for someone who's not himself the first time we see that. But we'll see a lot more of Kang during Steve Englehart. Do we have an overall feeling about the first 25 issues? Well, the first 25 issues, I think, really break down into two categories. The first 16, and then the next eight. Right, you can't add very well. Nine. <laughs> because, I mean, you know, you, you have the issues with the full team, where you've got the the people everyone always thinks of as the Avengers, and then you've got the next nine, where it's Cap and his kooky quartet. And the first 16 issues are interesting because it's really bombastic, over-the-top, crazy stuff most of the time, unless it's the Mole Man Red Ghost issue. It's larger than life, and the team generally gets along and everything's kind of like it's very justice league and then all of a sudden it's a really weak team that fight all the time and you know can't can't get along to save their lives all right so those are the i think those are the first the first 25 issues it gives you an idea of what happened gives you an idea of who's involved i gave it i did mvp and useless character 
Oh, go for it. My MVP for the first 25 issues is Captain America. Yeah, I think you'd have to say that. I mean, quite honestly, even if you're just counting the last nine, it kind of overshadows everything. But even when he comes onto the team before he's the leader, he often takes the the forefront. He gives them some leadership, at least, and some direction. He really does tie the team together. No, he does. I mean, he... Like a good set of drapes. (laughs) He keeps them he keeps them down. And my useless character. At this point in the team's history, it has to be Wasp. Oh, without a doubt. She's barely a member. Barely. She's, Hulk is more of a member than she was. Rick Jones gets more. I mean, she is well, there's one issue where they put her on par with Rick Jones. And then I gave it a final grade. Looking back, I give this run a solid B, if only for the insanity of some of these storylines. Yeah, I would give it a B or a B minus. We were much harder on it when we read it, but now when you look back at it, you realize that there's a lot of fun in these issues. They don't make sense. Sense. I don't think I mean if you're if you're just picking apart the plots of these issues I don't think any of them make sense but they are a lot of fun if you go back and listen to some of our first episodes we were laughing too much probably <laughs> yeah there was a lot of fun a lot of fun to be had here do you have a favorite issue out of the first 25 it's got to be the counter fairy issue I just love the counter fairy issue it makes no bloody sense it is probably the most convoluted of all of those early issues but just the cover with him on that damn organ what is that number 13 I think 13, 13. yeah what about you I'm gonna go with the first Kang issue. What is that? Uh, eight. Nine, eight, nine? Eight or, I think it's eight. I think it's eight and Wonder Man's nine, but I always get those. I always flip those two. It is eight. Yeah, I like the Kang issue. It's another one that doesn't make any sense, but, but Kang is just so over the top. Oh, well, like you say, him in that reclining, floating, inflatable chair thing of his is, is worth the price of admission by itself. I would say if you're going to avoid one of those issues, uh, avoid issue 14. Well, it's fun when Hank Pym kills a scientist and Thor leapfrogs planes. Overall, that issue is really kind of dull. So wait, you're going to pick that over what is it 17 with the commissar oh the commissar is fun goofiness to yeah, me. that's true but 14 once you get past those first few issues those first few pages i think 14 is you know a bunch of stupid aliens in in the nice shelf no one cares all right then all right that was our first index hopefully that will be helpful to people and uh we'll be doing more of these whenever the heck we feel like it and we'll just throw them up there back to our regularly scheduled program <laughs> thanks for listening <laughs> <laughs>